So uh, as last week, um, we have a, I have a little bit of a challenge because um, I prefaced the sermon by saying, I don't think we're going to get through the whole part of the sermon today. And we didn't even get to where I thought we were going to get. So I have to stop this one where that one stops so that next week we can proceed where we're going to proceed next week at 9 o'clock. Did you get all that? So, so we're just going to trust the Lord that it's all going to work out together. Amen? So take your Bible, please. And uh, we are, are in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if you missed last week, uh, we're on, a, on the topic of love. We're on the topic of love. I'm going to talk from uh, 1 Corinthians 13 in a few minutes. Uh, let me say a prayer first of all. Can we do that? Lord, thank you for our worship time. Thank you for our prayer time. Thank you for the announcement time. It's all good. But Lord, bless this time so strongly. Lord, let the word of God go forward with a special anointing on it, Lord, to pierce our hearts, to change our lives, to change our destiny, Lord. Um, Everything else will pass away, but your word will abide forever. So we pray, Lord, that, that today's message, as a continuation of last week, will really speak to our spirit in a very practical and very real way. Lord, anoint me to bring forth your word the way you want. Lord, and Lord, you be glorified with it and let your church be built up and edified because of it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. So we're not talking about, uh, just to recap a little bit here, we're not talking about the philia love, the brotherly love between friends. We're not talking about the storhe love among a family. We're not talking about Eros, the romantic love between a husband and a wife. We're talking about the agape love of God, the sacrificial, selfless, unconditional love of God that he pours upon the whole world. That's what we're talking about. So if you remember last week, I gave you three types, three aspects of what we're talking about. The first aspect is God's love for the people he created. And it's just amazing to me as, as I reflect on that, I said it last week, and I want to reiterate it. it was, it's almost like, on his part, a risky love. Because he loves everybody. He loves people that, that will reject him. He loves people that will abuse him or whatever. He loves the whole world, John 3.16. He, he loves this, the whole world so much that he gave his son. And so whether people receive it or not, his love is there. And so uh, we looked at a few scriptures, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. We, he didn't wait for us to get ready or get better. He, he died in our sinful condition. And then we looked at Romans 5, 5, where it says that the agape of God, the love of God, has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when we get saved, we, we use that phrase, we got saved. You know, we were born again. We're new creations. You know, we're, we're, we have the Spirit of God living in us. But when that happens, as it says in uh, John chapter 1, whoever would believe in him has been given the right to be called the child of God. When we believe in him, that agape love that's for everyone now is deposited in our heart. Isn't that amazing? We have that love now. He has given that to us. That's why we feel the way we feel. That's why we react to life the way we react, because we're looking at it from God's viewpoint, because we have the agape in our heart. So that's the first kind of relationship. Then the second relationship was, now that we're Christians, 
the relationship among Christians with each other. And that's where Jesus said in John 13, I give you a new commandment. You who believe in me, you that follow me, I give you a new commandment. That, you, uh, that as I have agape you, you agape one another. You know, you love one another. And as you love one another, all the world that doesn't love me or doesn't love you, they will see that you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. So we try to cultivate that within the body of Christ, not only here, but within the, the large, uh, larger body of Christ with different denominations and so forth. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Then the third aspect of that was the Christian's agape towards the lost world. And we looked at uh, Matthew 5 and, and just a very strong scripture that, that, that Jesus gave. He said, to agape your enemies, you know, and that was like, whoa, you know, that, that goes against my grain. Or that's not, that's not how I was brought up, you know. I was brought up to, to stay away from my enemies and maybe even get even if, if possible. But Jesus says to love agape your enemies. Because remember, the analogy is before we knew God, he loved us. So before other people know God, we're called to love them with the same love. So, and then he goes on, agape, love them, love your enemies, bless those that curse you. And do good to those that hate you. And pray for those that use you or persecute you. In other words, invest in them. Love them. Uh, go out, you know, try to, try to minister some way to them. Show them that you're different than them. You can't fight fire with fire in that regard. You've got to fight maybe earthly fire with heavenly fire, maybe that way. But let the Spirit of God work with you in that. And Jesus closed that off. And he said, as you do this, you'll prove yourself to be uh, sons of God. So a son of God or a child of God would demonstrate those qualities of agape love to one another as well as to the world around us. Pretty tall order, but that's the way it is. That's what makes Christians so unique. We're a different type of people because Christ is alive and that agape is in our hearts. So now that brings us to 1 Corinthians 13. And as you know, chapter 13 is right in the middle of chapter 12 and 14. Doesn't that make sense? But it's for a reason. Because chapter 12 and 14 talk all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And how important the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to function in a dysfunctional world, basically. You know? So we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the presence of God. You know, chapter 12, chapter 14 explains how to use the gifts and so forth. Right in the middle is this 1 Corinthians 13, which is called the love chapter or the, uh, the love psalm I heard recently. And so the point of that is that whatever we do within this body of Christ must be punctuated and demonstrated by a real genuine agape love for God and for one another. Because if it doesn't happen that way, it's not going to work. And the world will never receive the message that we have that Jesus is the answer. In fact, they'll probably be repulsed at us for being hypocrites. So that brings us to, to 1 Corinthians 13. So I want to go through the whole chapter. Now on the slide, we have, a, we have a slide that breaks it down into four categories of that chapter. And uh, each category has a lot of information. So you may want to take notes or you may want to listen, or you may want to go back and listen to the sermon later online. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul begins uh, saying here, uh, Though I speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. Now, see, right there, there needs to be some explanation, because there's some uncertainty as to what he really meant there. 
But we, uh, in the Assemblies of God, we have a certain way to look at this based on chapter 12 and chapter 14. What we believe he's saying here is, whether you speak with the tongues of men, in other words, like for us in English, you speak with your normal language, or whether you speak in the tongues of angels, which is like a hyperbole of saying like a heavenly language, uh, we would call that um, theologically the the gift of glossolalia, the speaking in other tongues. So whether you speak in English or speak in tongues, which are in chapter... T- so for, if you speak in English, say, uh, you may be used in the gift of wisdom, say, speaking in English, you know, just speaking, or knowledge, just speaking in regular language. Or uh, verse 12 and verse uh, 28 of chapter 12 talk about different gifts. You may have a gift of administration or helps or whatever, and you may just, you may just be a good speaker. So if you're speaking well and you're using the gifts... Okay, or if you're using the gifts, gift of tongues with uh, the tongue and the interpretation. And what he's saying is if you do that, whatever you do, if you do that, and if you don't have love with that, it says you're, you're like, a clanging, uh, like a clanging brass, right? Is that what it says? Clanging, sounding brass, and, and a clanging cymbal. And uh, I, I always you know, looked at that as, I think of brass, I think of like in a band. You know, there's brass in a band, the horns and stuff, like tubas and trumpets, there's brass. But that's not really what he meant there, although that might apply as far as explaining it. But what he meant was in that culture, there were, there were heathen people all over the place, and they worshiped their god, their, you know, their pagan people. And they would get metal and bang it out and have long strips of metal and string it up somewhere and get a stick and hit that, that metal and it would make a, uh, like a clinging, clanging song uh, sound all day long. It was their way to get their God's attention, I guess. But it was, used to drive people crazy. It was irritating. All day long you hear clank, 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 clank. They probably had different sizes and different types, but they had different types of clanks. And it was irritating to people. And then Paul saying, if you have these gifts of the Spirit, which are used to edify and build up the church... It, it, that has to be in your mind that the gifts are always used to build up. They're never used to put down. But if you're using them without love, that's what you sound like. You sound like a noise that's getting on everybody's nerves. Or like a clashing cymbal. And most, most of us could picture a clashing cymbal on the drums, just, just noise and irritation and, and, and frustration. And so he's saying if you're, if you're using the gifts whether you speak in your regular language or the heavenly language, if you don't have love in that, you're like a, you're like a big, loud sound, and, and you're getting on everybody's nerves, and you're not doing anybody any good. I, I, my translation is if you do that, um, you're, you're a big, loud, boisterous, noisy pain in the neck. You're big talk, and you're full of yourself, and you're full of hot air. And, and you're better off not even doing it. That's basically what he's saying. Do you like my translation, by the way? I mean, you know, you have to get real with this, but he's, he's being polite, I think. But what he's saying is you'd be better off not doing it because no one's listening to you. You sound like a, just a noisy bunch of baloney. Just stop. You, know, you don't have love. You can't minister the love of God without love. That's what he's saying. And then he continues in verse number two. He says, though I have the gift of... Now, these are literal gifts, this gift of prophecy... Uh, understand mysteries, that would be knowledge or, or wisdom, knowledge. Though I have faith that I could move a mountain, you have all these wonderful gifts, but you don't have love. It says, I am nothing, right? Is that what he says, verse 2? I, I am nothing if I don't have love in that. 
So, you know, for a discerning believer, you could pick up on that right away. Because someone's so important to themselves. I have a word. And, and like, we say, wait a minute, that's not how God does it. But if you don't have, if you don't have love in it, you, you, you're, what does he say again? I, I, I am nothing. You may think you're something, but in God's eyes, you're nothing. But first, uh, first John 4, John writes to the church there. He says, listen, don't even believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Make sure it's from God. You know, look over in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, 32. You're right there anyway. So it says in that verse, it says, let the spirits of the prophets be subject to the prophets. That's why I believe strongly in a public word, or at least if there's a private word, to, to uh, confirm it with someone else that's gifted in that area. But let the spirit of the prophet be subject. In other words, it's got to bear witness. And if it's not in love, you know what? Most people can discern it's not in love. If it's not in love, it profits nobody. It's really no good at all. Verse number three says, even if I give all my goods away and feed the poor, even if I do good works, if I go to the needy and give them the shirt off my back and bless people and help people, and, but if I don't have love, and if I even have my, let my body be martyred or burned for the cause of Christ, if I don't have love, it says, it profits me nothing. It's like, what's the point? So I, I'm familiar with, you know, reaching out. Many of you are. When you reach out, you, you bless people, you actually feel good about it. That's the right way it should be. But when, you, when you're filled with yourself and your ego, it profits you nothing. You get no joy in it. In fact, when you're like that, you become critical because you're doing all this work for God and nobody or whatever, and you get critical of it. And there's no love in it. You know, we're not even supposed to get thanked, believe it or not. We're just supposed to do it. But it, there's no joy. There's no contentment. There's no, like, excitement in doing it. And, and then in the afterlife, there's no reward for it. There's no treasure in heaven doing it this way. There's no crown awaiting when we do it with the wrong attitude. So he's coming down pretty strong, you know. And I think he was saying this because it was probably happening there. That's usually how it is when you read the word. Why, why is this being said? Because he's addressing something there. So the word for us is, let's, let's stay in the love, the agape of God, but we need the gifts. We need the ministries. We need laborers. We need workers. But we need workers that have the right attitude and the right heart to do it for God and forget about the glory. You'll get the crown later, you know. Just do it for God and, and go on and do it. So, so, so that's all good. Now, verses 4 through 8 uh, are, are the reasons why. Uh, oh, wait, one more thing about that. But re- verses 4 through 8 are the reasons why verses 1, 2, and 3 were written, that they weren't being, the gifts weren't being exercised with that agape love. In Matthew 7, Jesus said something really, really powerful. He said, you know, you're telling me you cast out demons in my name? You heal the sick? You, you perform miracles or whatever. I'm telling you, I never even knew you. You have to think, how does that dynamic work? Well, here's the thing. God will always honor his word. You know, corrupt people will do things for God. God will use the word. He'll deal with them later. But the word of God is never affected by that. It's, the word will go forward. But when people do that with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude, it's like God is saying, you know what? I never even knew you. 
I know things happen. That's the power of my word. But you, forget, I never even knew you. So verses 4 through 8, what I would call is a definition of this agape love. This is the love of God, you know, defined. And, but this is the love of God that's put into our hearts. So we could never say, I can't love that person, or I can't, you know. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. Because it's in there. It's in your heart. So let me just read it. I'll make a few comments about it. Uh, love is, my translation says, uh, long-suffering. Or love suffers long. Or love is patient. Love is kind. Now, it would, it would do us good to think about how God's love, how we first received God's love. I think about me, God's love for me was really patient. Years patient and very kind. In other words, he gave me his blessing when I didn't deserve it. Uh, love does not envy, doesn't parade, it's not proud, it's not puffed up. Uh, there, there was love, as I say, with, with no strings attached. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, it thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Uh, love bears all things and believes all things. Love hopes all things, endures all things. And love never fails. I've been accused of being gullible many times in my life, and it's true, because I believe everything for the most part. But I think that's agape work. I'll, I'll believe someone until I have reason not to. But that's a, that's a sign of agape residing in us. But this is the, the thing. When we read uh, Romans 5.5, 5, that, that God has poured out his agape into our hearts. The Galatians 5.22, the, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. So we have this agape working in us and working through us. That's why Paul will say, for instance, in Ephesians 5.2, he says to walk in love. He says in Ephesians 5.15, speak the truth in love. He says in Colossians 3.14, put on love. He says in John 13, love one another. In John, uh, Matthew 5, even love your enemies. But listen, there's only one way to do that. Old Pentecostal saying, you got to go back to the river. you got to go back to the well and drink from the river. Li- the rivers of living water. You'll never be able to have this love flowing 24-7 without going to the well and drinking the living water that Jesus has for us. That's the admonition here. Stay close to God. He's the source of the love. He gave it to you, but he's the source of it. Keep coming back. John 4, the Samaritan woman, came back to the well. Jesus said, you know, if you had the water that I would give you, you'd never drink again. I've got rivers of living water to give to you. So in the Pentecostal tradition, we, we used to sing about it all the time. I'm going down to the river. You know, the river of life is flowing through me. And we need the river of God every single day. If I could resurrect a, a, a time of history, I'd probably resurrect probably 30 years ago when every church was singing about the river of God. And everyone knew that the river was the, the springs of living water springing up, the Holy Spirit working in us and pouring in us and flowing out of us. That's the agape that we're talking about. And so I want to encourage you, whether you think of yourself as Pentecostal or not, be be a biblical scholar, be a Bible scholar. 
and see the word of God and find all the references about living water is poured out into our lives. We should not be running around with our heads down being depressed, as a matter of fact. We should be running around excited and thriving in God. I know life is hard, but God is greater than life. And so we need that agape so much. He's given it to us. And we need to just get it into the river of God and flow with what he wants us to be doing in these days. I was so blessed last night at the, at the grand opening of Leaving the Streets Ministry. I'll tell you, our brother Jesus is a natural speaker. He could, as they say, he could, he could speak the pain off the back wall if you let him. He, he'll, he'll just go on. He'll, he'll talk. But he has such a testimony that the love of God touched his life and changed his life. And now he's out there on the streets ministering day and night, doing things. He's got his own place down there. It's a wonderful expression of God's love in action. And it's, it's reaching people that maybe I would never reach, but he's reaching people on the street that is so powerful. That's God's love in action. You take the same thing with our nursing home ministry. Take the same thing with prison ministry or whatever we do with any outreach that we have. When that river of God is flowing through us, it's touching people's lives. And that's what we need to capitalize on. I don't want to be a church that's, that's just here on Sundays and we're not active. We're not going. That's why this one needed this ministry with First Baptist today. If you could help out down there, man, go down there and help out. Give an hour of your time. Let the love of God flow through you onto those people that need to eat a meal. They really need to eat a meal. That's why they do it. They need food. And now that we need servers to make it happen, but it's got to be an act of love that will, that will do that. But this is what Paul's talking about. There's got to be love involved. So the next section of chapter 13, I call it now the now and then. And uh, so what he says in verse 8, he says, okay, well, okay, the prophecies will, uh, will, will uh, cease or they'll fail. Uh, the tongues will cease. Uh, the knowledge will, will vanish away. Now we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. What is he saying right there? What he's saying is, when that which is perfect has come. Now, there's been some, some controversy over what that means. Well, we take that to mean when Jesus comes back again. So when Jesus comes back again, yeah, we won't need the gifts anymore. The tongues will cease. The prophecy will cease. Or the knowledge will cease. We'll be with the Lord face to face. We won't, we'll no longer be seeing things through a glass dimly. Like when you take a shower, you get out of the shower, and the mirror is all steamed up. You see yourself, but you're kind of like not clear. That's how it is now. We don't see everything now. That's where faith comes in. We have to live by faith. We don't see everything clearly. I tell people often, listen, I don't know. I, we don't see everything clearly. We, we see enough to do what we have to do. We see Jesus uh, crucified and resurrected, yeah, sitting on the throne. We don't see all the little details now, but then we'll see clearly. We'll see him face to face. Now we know in part. Then we'll know everything. So what he's saying is in the meantime, as you await for Jesus to come back, live in love. Live in the gifts. Live in the word of God. Exercise your faith. Go for it. Be strong. You know, be, make a difference. But stay in love with God and in love with the people of God. This will pass away. And then we'll be with the Lord for all of eternity. We won't need the gifts. 
we'll be face to face with our Lord. Amen. So in the meantime, this is what we do. This is how we live. But we have to live it, you know, with the right heart and the right attitude. Then the, the last part of chapter 13 uh, is verse number 13 and 14. One, uh, abide in faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So, uh, yeah, pursue love. Pursue love. Run after love. And I, I have three points to share with you about pursuing love. But this is the part that we didn't get to last week, and we're not going to get to it this week. Because there's a whole other section I want to share with you before we get to that section. But the section I want to share with you, I only got to one point at 9 o'clock. And there are four points in this section. Are you following me? So I want to, I want to share with you that this one aspect of what I want to talk about before I give you the three things to think about pursuing love. <laughs> My wife is saying, what? What did you just say? So I, have, <laughs> I, I do have a question. I have a question. Because up until now, everything is good. Love is good. And, you know, love is, who doesn't love love? We all love love. But I read in the scriptures, Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12, uh, they, they repeat each other. It says this, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest the correction. Uh, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens or corrects, just as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And my question is, how does that work with all this love that's being poured out? So up until now, love has been kind of soft and, you know, nice and mushy. And who doesn't want that? We all want that. But sometimes love is tough. Love, sometimes love uh, will, will pressure, pressure us in such a way that we have to make decisions. Love, in this aspect, separates the wheat and the chaff. It separates, as they say, the men from the boys. It, it, it separates the serious from the faint of heart in their relationship with God. So agape love will either make or break us, or both. Maybe both is a better way to say it. The agape of God will change us if we allow it to. So there's four aspects of this that I wanted to talk about, and I just want to mention one of them this morning so I could keep in pace with the early service. The, the first part of this is that the agape of God confronts us. Okay? The agape of God confronts us. Let me give you an illustration. Everyone knows my friend Lenny led me to the Lord many years ago. Well, I poured out my heart to Lenny, and I told him all my woes, all my problems, and all my, all my struggles and everything. And Lenny did not say to me, it's going to be okay, Rick, let's go have a beer and pat me on the head. He looked me dead in the eye, and you know what he said? If you heard the story, you know what he said. Rick, man, you got to get right with Jesus. He confronted me with the love of God. If he just nonchalantly said, ah, everything's going to be okay, I would have not benefited from that at all. But the love of God working in him confronted me in a proper way. That I, I said, my response was, yeah, well, how do I do that? And I realized now, looking back on that day, Lenny was just setting me up. God was setting me up. When I said, how do I do that? Lenny's eyes lit up like, man, I'm going to tell you how to do that. But he had to confront me with the love of God. Your lifestyle is bad. You're making all the bad choices here. You've got to get right with Jesus. Wow. Well, we talked for an hour or two after that. He told me how. But sometimes the love of God, you know, 
Like if you have children, when you love them, you have to correct them sometimes properly. You, you love them enough to correct it. If you don't love them, you won't deal with them. You'll just let it go. And that's not loving them. Loving them is dealing with the issues. And sometimes the agape of God confronts us, boom, like a, like a, like a brick wall. It's just looking at it like, what are you going to do with this? Because the way you're doing it is totally wrong. A couple of examples in the word, Matthew 3 and, and Matthew 23. Uh, one is jo- John the Baptist, the other is Jesus. I thought about this, like, how does this fit in? But Jesus and John both said the same thing when they saw the Pharisees coming. You know what they said to them? You brood of vipers, you snakes. That's like saying, look, you're, you're like crawling on the ground. You're, you're, you're sneaky and you're, you're slimy and you're, look at you. Where's the love in that? But I, I realized what they were saying was, Ephesians 4, 15, they were speaking the truth. Your lifestyle is bad. You're, the way you think is wrong. You're never going to get the glory that way. And they were calling them out. You know, and sometimes love will do that, but it's got to be done the right way. There's a good ending to that story I'll get to in a minute. But, but Jesus was always confronting people like that. The rich young ruler in Mark 10. You know, what do I have to do to inherit heaven? Oh, follow the, the, the laws and the prophets. Well, I do all that. And Jesus didn't say, oh, good boy, come follow me. He said, well, okay, now that you do all that, go back home and sell everything that you have, sell it all, and then you come follow me, take up your cross and follow after me. And that guy could not do it. The love of God confronted him. He could not deal with it. It says so sad, he walked away sadly. So sometimes the love of God will be, will be presented in such a way that you've got to deal with it. And if you have any type of discerning in your spirit, you know that his way is always the best way. And it's not always the easiest way. In fact, most of the time, it's not the easiest way. The road to eternal life, Jesus said, is very narrow. The road to destruction is wide. The road to him is, is narrow, but, but he confronts us all the time. I think of uh, in uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, when, when Paul was on the road going to this Damascus, persecuting the church. You know, he, the Lord appeared to him. He fell to the ground. And Jesus said to him, I, I know there's a question mark in Acts 9, 4. Why are you persecuting me? But I think maybe there might have been, like, you ever see, like, there's a question mark and the exclamation point at the same time? I think Jesus might have been saying, Paul, what's the matter with you? Why are you persecuting me? Talk about put, stopping someone dead in their tracks. This is a Pharisee. This is a very learned man that knew the scriptures, had all the zeal in the world to go after God. And Jesus stops him dead and says, you're persecuting me. Why are you doing that? That's the agape of God. That sometimes we don't want to think of it that way, but he will stop us dead in our tracks if we let him. And so all of us have this to deal with. And by the way, when that happened to me, when Lenny confronted me many years ago, I can't even tell you the numbers of times the Lord has stopped me dead in my tracks, and he's still confronting me on the way I think or the way I look at things or what I do or whatever. He's often confronting me like, you know, are you going to do it your way or my way? And there's all this constant thing going on all the time. But the love of God will definitely confront us. So how about you? You know, you have to be willing to go with the flow. Now, those Pharisees who they called a brood of vipers, we know that two of them 
Joseph and uh, Nicodemus gave their heart to the Lord. They became followers of Christ. So that was their wake-up call. We know that Paul was also a Pharisee, and his wake-up call was, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so that, that confrontative aspect of agape changed their heart. And that will continue. I'm telling you, that will continue until we see Jesus. Not for salvation. We're saved now. But we still have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And there's always issues that come up. People issues, money issues. What do I do with my, what, how do I deal with tithing? Well, I know the answer to that. But will the agape of God let you get away with that? That's something you have to deal with when the Lord speaks to you about your money. Or about your fasting. Or about your devotional time. Or whatever, whatever it is that we do. The love of God will always speak to us and confront us. I think uh, there's another aspect that's uh, really for next week, but I really want to emphasize the prayer meeting on Monday night. Last week was our first Sunday, so we had a prayer meeting that Sunday night, then the prayer meeting every Monday night at 6.30. We have a men's prayer meeting every Thursday at 6 a.m. So I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. But maybe the agape of God will talk to some of you. And you've got to deal with it. It's an opportunity. I'm not, I don't want anyone to feel guilty. But I'm just throwing it out there that sometimes God is confronting us. What are you doing? What are you praying? What are you doing for the kingdom? Can you respond to the cry from the, the leaders of the church that we need to pray more or whatever? It's a, it's a loving confrontation for us to step up to the plate. In the back of my mind, in 1 Corinthians 13, that now and then part, Jesus is coming back. Don't you know? This world is falling apart. Now they've got corona going all over the place, and there's wars everywhere, and all these natural disasters happening. There's just chaos. It's got to be a sign of the times. We've got to be a people that are living in the agape of God and allowing the agape to confront us and to fine-tune us because he's coming back for a holy bride, a pure bride. He wants us to be ready for when he comes. So there's three more aspects of the agape in action. I'm going to save them for next week. I'm going to stop right here. So for homework again, read 1 Corinthians 13. Meditate on it. And next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll finish the the sermon. Uh, I told the early church, the only thing that would interrupt that is if Jesus comes back. And if he comes back, hallelujah, we won't have to go through another message. And then we'll see perfectly well. We won't be seeing in, in part. We'll see perfectly well. So I said, maybe Jesus will come back on Wednesday. That'll be just fine. So if that happens, I'll see you in heaven. But if not, I'll see you next Sunday. We'll finish up this sermon. Amen. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Every head bowed for just a moment, please. just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word. That first part is God, God so loved the world that he gave. And we want to give you an opportunity to surrender to the Lord or maybe make a recommitment to the Lord. So if that's you, I just want you to put your hand up real quickly. I, I, need, I need to receive the love of God in my life. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? I need to receive the love of God in my life. Yeah. Is there someone here that feels like I need to receive that love 
so that I could demonstrate that love to people in my life that I'm having conflict with. Yeah. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for your love, your sacrificial, selfless, unconditional love by which you accept us. Thank you, Lord, for instilling that in our hearts now. Help us, Lord, to give it to somebody else now as we have opportunity. We pray, Lord, that in these last days, we'll be living as a thriving, spirit-filled church, a church community that's in the Word of God, uh, exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we await your return. So, Lord, this message, among other things, highlights the idea that you're coming back again. And this we do as we wait for you to come. So, Lord, help us to whatever we do, however, however we minister, however we act with one another, however we interact with the world around us, that we would, we would accentuate the love of God in us as we, as we do that. We pray, Lord, that others that don't know you would know that we're Christians by our love for each other and that our love would be contagious to those on the outside that would attract them to come on to the inside. So, Lord, thank you for this topic. Thank you for these messages. We pray, Lord, for a good week, a a healthy week in every aspect. Uh, Lord, if you want to come back on Wednesday, hallelujah, Lord, come. As John said, Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But, Lord, if you tarry another week or another month, let us be ready. Let us be ready. Let us be found working and praying and doing the things that you want us to do as we await your return. So, Lord, may your blessing be upon the church. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you for the children downstairs.